Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. I want to begin by just thanking the Lord for giving us the opportunity to invest in families, for giving us a a mission and a purpose that is infinitely greater than ourselves. Through the blood of Jesus, we are a family. And you heard it over and over again, the Spirit of God is here. We're not just any family, right? We're not a family that just shows up once a year to eat whatever it is we eat at a family reunion. We are a spiritual family. We are where the Spirit is pleased to dwell in a special way. Yes, the Spirit of God is everywhere, but He dwells in a special way among the people of God. Through the blood of Jesus, we are the house of the Lord. Do you understand that? Like, we are in Christ the temple. He tabernacled the presence of God, and in Him, He changes our hearts such that the presence of God can dwell in us. And when we dwell together, there's this special dynamic of spiritual family. And what we're going to see in the book of Haggai, here in just a moment, is that the people of God are to be about building the house of the Lord. And and before Jesus, that was a physical temple. And now that Jesus has come, we are to be about building the house of the Lord, inwardly and outwardly, right? Cultivating this heart to beat with a passion for Christ, and then taking the message of the good news of the gospel out to still more. And a a significant part of the effort that, that we are aiming at in the Treasure Jesus initiative is the category of the good of his church. We are endeavoring to treasure Jesus for the good of his church, which includes things like congregational worship, Wednesday night fellowship meals, kids ministry, student ministry, 3D groups slash Sunday school, as well as all the behind the scenes things that catalyze discipleship, microphones, projectors, wiring, sound, subscriptions, HVAC, buildings, maintenance. Did you know it takes a little bit of money to maintain 67,000 square feet of space and 18 HVAC units? Maintenance. Computers. And yes, coffee. Amen. Did anybody go to Starbucks last week? Like nobody went because of Daniel's sermon. Look, that, that was not the point of that. I, somebody's like, I can never go to Starbucks again. No, that's not what I meant, right? Just evaluate everything you do in light of the kingdom. And is the kingdom your first priority? That's what we're asking. Are we treasuring Jesus? And in this initiative, if the Lord allows us to meet the, the $4 million funding target, we will devote more than $1.8 million to the work of being Christ's church over the next two years. So if you just take a moment and, and look at page 56, I want to show you where we are headed. Page 56 in your resource guide. And if you say, I don't have one, we do have more available for you uh, out in the foyer. You can grab one as you go. Just take a look at page 56 uh, later. But there's there's a blown up page that gives you an example of what the commitment card looks like that that we're hoping everyone will participate in on November 
the 13th, all right? And it's important to note that that card will come with an envelope. No one's going to see your dollar amount written on that card other than our financial secretary and the counting committee as, as you make your gifts. It's, it's going to function in the same way that it always functions. And here's what I believe. If, if we will obey what the Spirit is leading us to do in treasuring Jesus through generous give, giving in this season, if we'll obey how the Spirit is stirring, we will succeed. No matter the amount that's given, if we'll obey the Spirit, that will be success. So on November the 13th, my hope is that we're all going to make a joyful financial faith commitment as we treasure Jesus together. And I want to continue to stress, if you're brand new at North Roanoke Baptist Church, if you're determining if this is going to be your church home, you can always jump on board later, right? We'll have cards later. So if you're just kicking the tires trying to figure out about North Roanoke, grab one of these, read where we're headed, but certainly feel no obligation or pressure. If, however, this is your church home, let's lean in together and see what God will do. So, if you are uh, with me in the book of Haggai, we're going to talk about treasuring Jesus by building the Lord's house. Treasuring Jesus by building the Lord's house. Now, many of you are like me. Haggai is small. It's two chapters, which means it covers about two pages in your Bible, and it can be difficult to find. So if you're struggling to get there, go to Matthew and then work back towards Genesis, right? So go backwards. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. Got it? It's really short, okay? And once you, once you get there, does everybody got it? Say got it? Okay. All right. So as, as we turn the page to Haggai, it's helpful to know that for centuries before Haggai preaches, the four sermons that make up this book bearing his name, that prophets had warned that the Lord was going to use the Babylonian Empire to judge the Israelites for their sin and that they would overtake Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and send the people of God into exile. And that all happened way back in 587 B.C., all right? But these same prophets spoke of a time in the future when God would bring back a remnant of His people to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would dwell in their midst. And in 538 B.C., the beginnings of that future hope that was prophesied in places like Isaiah chapter 45, they come in the form of a major geopolitical shift in the world scene. The Babylonian Empire, the big bad Babylonians, fall to the Persians. And the Persian king, named King Cyrus, writes an edict that allows many people to return to their homeland. And in the, cases, uh, in the case of the Jews, he even provides resources for the rebuilding of the temple. So we've got the world saying, why don't you go back and rebuild the temple to your God? And by the way, here's the resources to do it with. So the first wave of Jews returns to Jerusalem, and they first rebuild the altar and the foundation for the temple by no later than 537 B.C. Is everybody with me on the, on the timeline? So 537 B.C., here's money, here's resources, here's funding, go back, build the temple. They build an altar, they build a foundation, things are looking up, things are moving, but soon people surrounding the Israelites began to oppose them. 
crops began to fail and the work on the temple stopped. When we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 B.C., 17 years later, and there's still no temple. There's a foundation, there's an altar, but no temple. No place for the Lord to dwell with His people. Would you hear with me in chapter 1 of Haggai, verses 1 through 5, as we consider the word of the Lord. In the year of Darius the king, the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. 17 years later. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The first thing I want you to see from verses 1 through 5 is that Church, we must not treasure our comforts, our homes, more than we treasure the Lord's presence. We must not treasure our comforts more than we treasure the Lord's presence. Haggai's first sermon can be dated to the very day, August the 29th, 520 B.C. He gives this sermon. How do we know that? Because we have solid historical evidence for the dating of the reign of King Darius. And what does the Lord of hosts say through Haggai the prophet on August 29th, 520 B.C.? What does the Lord of hosts say? He says, the people say, it's not yet time to rebuild my house. 17 years in and you're still saying it's not time. This is the Lord of hosts speaking. What does it mean that he's the Lord of hosts? It means he's the Lord of angel armies or of warriors or of those who go into battle it references the lord of hosts means that god is the god of invincible power and it's like god is saying do you believe that i have the power to supersede to override your circumstances and your conditions the lord of hosts says these people say the time hasn't come to rebuild the house these people are 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 like a couple Waiting to have enough money to have a child, right? Well, when are you going to have children? Well, once, we're, once we can afford it, we'll have a child. Well, good luck on that. Right? It never happens. If you wait to have children until you can afford children, you never have children. And, and they're doing that with the temple. They're like, well, one day we'll be able to get around to building the temple. Once we're comfortable, once our houses are great, once we have everything we've ever dreamed of, then we'll get around to attending to the place where God dwells. If you wait to be comfortable until you're willing to be about the Lord's presence, you'll never be about the Lord's presence. Unless, of course... The Lord of hosts graciously sends a word to you as he did in this context. Aren't you so glad that God sent Haggai to wake the people of God up? This is, this is grace. It doesn't feel like grace, right? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty fiery sermon, but praise God that Haggai preaches the word and as we'll see, the people obey. Notice in verse 2, the, 
The Lord does not say my people, but he says these people. He can't even call them his own people because God's people are people who crave the presence of God more than they crave their own possessions. But these people don't concern, seem too concerned about God. We know this because the Lord asks a follow-up question. In verse 4 he says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, meaning the temple, lies in ruins? Here's what the Lord is saying. No matter what excuses that you might think you have for neglecting the Lord's presence, look around. Look at your own houses. You've got nice houses with roofs to dwell in, but you've done nothing about a dwelling place for God. You've got a home, but God is homeless among His people. Sure, you're happy to be back building nice homes in your hometown, but you've done nothing to pursue my promises and build my house in anticipation of the Savior who will come through God's people. And the result of the situation is, praise God, a gracious invitation. What does the Lord say? He does not say, therefore I am done with you. I'm starting over. I'm wiping you out. I'm going to find a better people. Instead, what does God say? Look at verse 5. Consider your ways. Command. Give careful thought to your ways. Examine your life. Take stock of what motivates you, what you spend, the hobbies you pursue, of where you're serving, of your prayer life, of everything, of your intentionality, of leaning into community with other saints. Look at all of it and, and ask yourself does it demonstrate that I am passionate for Jesus? That I want him to be at home in my heart? Or am I more passionate about the house where I pillow my head? Am I willing and eager to grow the house of the Lord? Or am I just looking for the next nice house? Church, we must consider our ways. Verse 6. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, listen to it, here it is again, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. The second thing I want you to see in this text, church, is to escape spiritual drought. Some of you this morning are just in a spiritual funk. You can't figure it out. You, you called upon the name of the Lord. You were saved. And then maybe you got wayward somewhere along the way. The way back to God is to do the things that God has given you to do that can only be done in the power of the Spirit. The way back to the joy of the Lord is to do the things that the Lord has given you to do. To escape spiritual drought, we've got to throw away the excuses and get busy building the Lord's house. 
like us, the Israelites probably had plenty of excuses in mind for why the temple had not been rebuilt, right? In Ezra, we learned that their enemies wrote a letter to get the temple construction stopped. In verse 6, we learned that the economy was not doing very well. The farmer sowed much, but he harvested little. They kept on filling their plates and their cups, putting on layer after layer of clothes, but no one was full and no one was warm. When day laborers worked, inflation and rising prices were so bad that it was like they were putting their earnings in a bag with holes. The Jews are surrounded by people who don't want them to succeed, and the economy is struggling. Does that sound familiar? We're in a world that doesn't want us to succeed. We're in an economy that could be better. But when did pursuing the presence of God become conditioned upon the opposition in the world or the state of the economy? Never. The Lord didn't say, I will be with you always except when inflation is bad. He didn't say, I'll I'll be with you always except when culture around you wants Christianity to fail and makes you the butt of every joke and says that you're the hateful ones because you're maintaining the Lord's standard of righteousness in the world. The Lord is not interested in our excuses. He's on a mission to change our hearts and fuel an unstoppable passion for glorifying Him no matter the cost. So He doesn't come to the people of God and say, consider the economy or consider the lame policies of your government. He says, verse 7, consider your ways. Until the Lord used Haggai to wake up their sleepy faith, the people of God neglected building the house. They, they figured they would just get around to building it later when things were better, after they had all the stuff that they wanted. But church, our giving and our serving and our working and our praying to build the Lord's house is not to be motivated by our convenience, but by Christ who was crucified to make us His own. And if that's not what motivates us, then where is our faith? Some of you might be thinking as we step into this initiative, well, inflation is crazy, the economy isn't great, many who gave so generously for North Roanoke to be possible are now with Jesus, so is it really time to be talking about positioning ourselves and our ministry and our building to be ready to serve future generations? Is now the right time? And I would say, look at the book of Haggai, if now's the right time, it'll never be the right time. There will always be a reason, there will always be an excuse, there will always be something else to compete for our attention. And the answer to us is the same that it was in Haggai. Look to the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, twice he's called the Lord of hosts. And verse 14, he's the Lord of hosts. Do you think Haggai wants to remind us that we have the God of all power on our side? And if God be for us, then who can be against us? Look to the Lord of hosts, not to your host of problems. 
There will always be problems. There will always be excuses, always challenges. But as Tozer said, listen to this church. I love this quotation. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity. We plan only the things we can do by ourselves. And in the case of the Israelites, the the Lord clarifies their poor economic conditions are actually the result of their own misplaced priorities. Until the church obeys Jesus with our money, who are we to lament how the government misuses our taxes? They have prized their houses over the Lord's house. So the Lord has shut up the heavens, bringing a, a drought and challenging economic conditions. In Deuteronomy 28, 24, the Lord had said that drought would come if His people ignored Him. Now that Jesus has come and, and borne the court curse for us, and live the life that merits all the blessings of God. We, we don't live under Mosaic law, right? Under the blessings and curses of Mosaic law. But there's a principle in the Mosaic law that remains instructive for us today. And it's this. When we neglect God, God will discipline us. God will graciously allow a drought in our lives if that's what it's going to take for us to treasure Jesus. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to stay in a state of drought. Haggai is clear, right? God does not want our hearts to be in a state of drought. He doesn't want us, want us to have hearts that lie in ruins as we busy ourselves with our own houses. So what must we do? Do you see it in verse 7 once more? We must consider our ways. Consider your ways. It's a command with an implied call to repentance. The Lord tells us what repentance will look like in this situation in verse 8. What does he say? Stop busying yourself with your house and build the house that matters. Go. It's a command. Bring the wood, likely the wood that would have been laid between the rows of stone to secure the temple in the case of an earthquake. Go, get the wood, and build the house. Why? Look at verse 8. That he may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Did you know that the Lord takes pleasure when we take pleasure in Him? When, when we pursue His presence, when we want nothing more than to be with God and to be close to God and to be filled up to overflowing with a passion for God, it is then that God is glorified. John Piper distills this principle in this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied in Christ or are you satisfied with lesser things? Why would we Spend our time with trivial things when we have the opportunity to treasure Jesus. Now that Jesus has come, we know that the Lord manifests His presence not in a building made with wood and stone, but in, his, in the hearts of His people. So now we too are commanded to go, right? We, we don't go and secure wood. What do we go and get? We go and get after people in Jesus' name, sharing the gospel wherever we can, declaring that all who turn from their sin and trust in Him will receive new hearts, hearts where the Lord will be pleased to dwell. And, and listen to this, church. I want you to make the connection between our, our giving and, our, our, and having Jesus. When the God who gave you everything dwells inside of you, He gives you joy in living when you give as He gave. Did Jesus come to give you new life? That, that's not rhetorical. 
Did Jesus come to give you new life? Yes, amen. And the quality, what did Jesus do? How did he live? He lived by giving. He gave people new life. He gave people health. He gave people what they truly needed. How do you know when the life of Christ has been reproduced in you? It is when you are pouring yourself out like Jesus did. That's where the joy of the Christian life is found. To treasure Jesus, we've got to be vessels that he's using to build his house in our praying, in our serving, in our giving, in our going, in our sharing. The remedy for our spiritual funk is treasuring Jesus and getting on mission to build his house. Now, let's, let's just be real for a moment. How would you have liked to have been Haggai preaching this sermon? It, it had to be a, be a terrifying sermon for him to preach, right? I mean, let's, let's summarize Haggai's sermon. Your houses are amazing and God has no house. What is wrong with you people? The economy is tanking and you're blaming the tanking economy on why you're doing nothing, but you're the reason that the economy is tanking. What if the economy in the United States of America is not as great as it could be, not because of the lame policies in Washington, but because of the lackadaisical approach to God in the church. We're not Israel, so I can't, I can't draw that conclusion. I have no authority to say that that, that is the case, but, but what if God's people took care of their responsibility to God? What might happen in our country? Now, now Haggai has just preached. Y'all are looking at me kind of funny. Like, I, I don't like you saying that. I don't like saying it either. And I'm sure Haggai didn't like saying it because when, when prophets preach like this, what happens to prophets who preach like this? Time and again. They get killed, persecuted, dig a hole, put them in the hole. But look at what happens in this case. It's unbelievable. They don't persecute the preacher. They don't wait for the economy to improve or gas prices to come down. They actually listen to the Word of God. And, and i got to be honest with you, as I've been preparing this sermon, I've been like, Lord, do I really have to preach Haggai chapter 1? There's a lot of places I could go in Scripture. Is that really where you want me to be? I try to run away from it. God's like, preach Haggai 1. Oh, they're going to hate it. And then God said this. All you can do is preach the Word. It's not up to you. Let the word of God do the work in the people of God. And that, that's my hope this morning, is that God's word would work in us like it worked in Jerusalem in 520 B.C. Look at what happened. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. What a promise. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit, do you see this church, of all the remnant of the people. 
And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. There was a day that God did something in the hearts of his people and it changed. And I'm praying through this Treasure Jesus initiative that this would be a season in our church where God does something and we are forever changed. Look at what happened. Together, they obeyed God. And the same is true for us. Together, we must obey the Lord's voice in full assurance of His presence. Verse 12 is incredible. All the remnant. Not some of the people, everybody that was on team King Jesus, looking for the Son of God to come, they all obeyed the voice of the prophet and the voice of the Lord their God. And I'm just going to be incredibly direct for a moment, church, and some of you are like, haven't you been direct for the last 30 minutes? This initiative is not just for people who already support North Roanoke Baptist Church. It's for everyone who calls North Roanoke home. It's for every single one of us. There's no reason that anyone in this room would not participate in some way. This initiative is about not setting and forgetting our giving, but taking an assessment, considering our ways, and going all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whether you've been giving to this church for 40 years or you've been here for four minutes, if this is where God wants you to plant your life, it's a chance for all of us to do what God is calling us to do through this initiative, which is to make the connection between our treasures and having hearts that treasure Jesus. So back on that page, on page 56, some of you are looking at this and you're like, this is the most confusing thing I've ever seen. It looks like a math worksheet from the second grade. I don't do math anymore. Help me out, Pastor. I'm going to try, okay? On the left side, you'll see three boxes. Do you see those three boxes on the left side? In the first box in that worksheet, it provides a space for you to write down what you give to North Roanoke in a typical year to treasure Jesus and build His house throughout this valley and to the ends of the earth. And for the next two years, we're asking you to think about everything you give. Just put it all in one bucket, the treasure Jesus bucket. Whatever you give for missions, whatever you give for budget, the only exception to that would be be things like benevolence. Everything else, we're going to put it all into one fund over the next couple of years. What is that number? And some of you are looking at that box, and you're terrified by that box, because the reality is the number that you need to write in box one on the left is zero. Okay. Some of you, it's zero because you've only been here for four days. That's fine. For some of you, it's a number that's been set for years that you've never looked at since. You set it and you forget it. You put it on autopilot. And it's great that we have electronic giving. But the downside of electronic giving is that you forget about what you're giving. And then you detach your heart from your giving. So let's not do that. So does everybody understand what box one is? It's what I would typically give. Box two is, hey... God is is calling me to do something more than what I've been doing. And if you've been stuck on zero, then God is saying, get started. For others, you know that you've been giving a a percentage that represents well below what a tithe of your income is. And you're like, you know what? Now's the time. I'm going to go from where I am to a tither. Some of you are like, I can't get there. 
I don't know how to get there. I'm at like 2% of my income, but I'm going to go to 4 Did you know if we were all at 2% and went to 4 that we would fund the Treasure Jesus Initiative? It would happen. Now, I don't, I don't know where we are in our giving. I have no idea. I think we're above the national average, which is 2.5%. I'd say our church is probably closer to 5 or 6 or 7%. You're a very generous church. But what would happen if we said, all of us, God, grow my heart for the kingdom of God, and as a reflection of that, here's how my giving is going to grow. Whatever that number is, that's what goes in box 2 on the left side. And then you add those two together. Does that make sense? It's, it's just a, a math formula on the left side. And then you'll get a number... That represents what God is leading you to give over the next year on an annual basis. And because this is a two-year initiative, you'll multiply it by two, and then you'll throw that number in the top line on the box on the right. Is everybody with me? Okay. We'll talk more about that next line next week. But here's what you need to know as you complete your card. Nobody's going to check your math. Nobody cares if you can add, subtract, multiply, or divide. The box that matters is the big long box over your name and address and contact information. This is simply a tool for you and the Holy Spirit and your family to work through together as you figure out what might it look like for God to move in our hearts and make us generous givers. And the reality is, this might sound impossible. It'll never happen. The church will never respond and, and i got to be honest, if I was Haggai, I would, I would have been thinking the same thing. I'd have been like, Lord, I'm going to go preach this sermon. Everybody's happy with their paneled houses and their roofs, and you're going to tell me to preach this sermon, and God's not going to do anything other than say, what's wrong with my people? But listen, in Haggai, the people obey. What might happen if we all lean into this and we obey? In terrible economic conditions, and in less than five years, the temple is built. So my prayer for us this, this morning is that we would hear the voice of the Lord in this series and that we would obey Him. Why? Look at verse 12. Because we fear Him. Hill says this, The people feared in the sense that they had been startled awake by the voice of God. May God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, startle us awake to the realities in our culture and our country and help us to resolve that we will do whatever it takes to bring a lost and dying world to a crucified and risen Savior. And if we do this, look at verse 13. Look at the promise of verse 13. I am with you, declares the Lord. Isn't it good to know that even before the temple is built, that the Lord is with His people? And now that Christ has come and He's changed our hearts, that we can know His presence on the inside, He is with us every single step of the way. Church, Jesus wants us. He wants us more than a renovated building. He wants us more than us meeting our budget. He wants our hearts. And if we go all in on treasuring Jesus, we will have Him in abundance and we will find that He is where pleasures forevermore are found. Now we don't have time to cover chapter 2, but I want to point out a promise in verse 9 of chapter 2. It's not on the screen, but I'll read it for you. This is what Haggai says. 
you got to remember, this is the second temple that's been built, right? There was a much bigger, grander temple constructed by Solomon. And then it's torn down, and the people of God are exiled, and they come back, and they build this puny little temple. People who saw the temple before are like, this is nothing. What are we even working on this for? Here's what Haggai says. The latter glory of this house, this tiny little house, will be greater than the former, than the house that Solomon built, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What in the world is Haggai talking about? We had a mansion and we built a dumpy little ranch and the ranch's glory is going to be more than the mansion's glory. I don't understand, Haggai. What are you talking about? Who did Haggai see? He saw King Jesus, the one who declares in Matthew 12, 6 that he is greater than the temple. He saw our final and forever Passover lamb. He foresees the awesome glory of the Son of God who became a man to take the place of sinful men so that we might become the sons of God, purging the temple, cleansing the temple, ending the sacrificial system, and saying, I am the sacrifice. Those who believe in me will find life forevermore. Do you believe that's true? And if you believe that's true, how much more than the people in Haggai's day ought we be ready to work and to give and to build in our day? Church, there's no greater price that will ever be paid and no greater treasure that we could ever find than Jesus who gives us the presence of God and makes us his people in his house. Let's treasure Jesus and build his house. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for your saints. Thank you for your people and their patience this morning. And God, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that your word would do its work. And that everyone in this room who knows Christ would be able to to say, I would truly rather have Jesus than anything else. And God, for anyone in this room within the sound of my voice or online who doesn't yet know Christ, I pray soon and very soon. Lord, that you would convict them of sin and draw them to saving faith in Christ. Have your will and your way in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.